0: Now, I want to take a moment, and and all of these guys, there's a pie up here for you, but here's what I want. I I just want to ask, if you're a dad, would you just stand to your feet? I hear the conversations that occur sometimes, but I want you to understand something, gentlemen. You do not become a father by accident. You become a father by divine appointment. And God places children into your lives because He believes that you have the ability to pour into them that which will enable them to serve Him and follow Him throughout their lives. I want to say thank you for what you do, but I also want to extend to you a challenge. Lead your families. Be faithful. And let God use you to impact the next generation. It's not just your children, but there's going to come a day when the greatest thing happens. Your children go have children. And then you find the next blessing. And it even outweighs your own kids. They're called grandchildren. If you live long enough, it continues to happen. Friends, we have the opportunity to shape a future. Let's do that together. Can I pray with you men, over you men, as we stand here together this morning? Join me. Father... I look across this room and I see men of so many different ages, so many different places in life, but each one of them given an awesome responsibility by you to train up children, to show a way, to model what you look like to us. Father, we're imperfect, we're flawed, and oftentimes we do fail. But I pray that you continue to work in our lives to teach us and shape us as men, as fathers, as husbands. And help us to do the best job that we possibly can under your leadership in instilling the values of a loving God into the hearts and minds of the next generation. Father, I thank you for each one of these men, the investment they make in their families the fact that this morning they are here in your house to worship you and father i pray that in the days to come you would continue to bless your people with children that we might hear their cries watch them grow see them come to know you and be confident in the future before us and now father as we continue to, to look into your word i pray Speak to our hearts and teach us your truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you. You may be seated. I had someone ask me one time, Tim, why do you try to find the oldest father every year? It's because of one of my favorite characters in Scripture. We're going to read about him this morning. So if you brought a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Numbers, the 13th chapter. Numbers chapter 13 gives us a record of Moses selecting out 12 spies, sending them into the promised land to search out the land, to see if it truly was everything that God had said it was going to be, to see if it was, in fact, a land flowing with milk and honey, rich and prosperous, a place where a nation could, could settle and plant and grow And serve the Lord. Well you know the story. Or at least most of you do. The twelve went into the land. They saw. They brought back evidence. They came back to give their report. And this. One of the most thrilling incidents. In all of scripture. Is the record of a split decision. Ten of the spies said. We don't have any business going in there. Two said, we do. When the ten gave their report, they created so much confusion among God's people that it took great effort on the part of two men, Joshua and Caleb, to get out a positive word, to give, if you will, the minority report. The words flowed from the mouths of these two men. and we when we read this passage you're going to see something it was Caleb it was Caleb who gave the strongest testimony of faith in what God wanted to do and what God could do if they would follow him so what's the big deal about Caleb oh, before we even read this passage let me just fast forward in the story Because of the unfaithfulness of the people, they're preparing to spend 40 more years in the wilderness wandering before they find their way back to this place and have the opportunity to go into the promised land. An entire generation of people will die. Their bodies will be in the wilderness, including the 10 who gave the negative report. Two men will cross the river and lead the charge joshua and caleb joshua the man who was selected to to lead after moses had passed off of the scene and caleb the man who when the conquest was almost done would come to joshua and say look i'm 85 years old you see that mountain that that's where the giants were i'm 85 but joshua do me one favor Give me that mountain. Age did not diminish his heart. It did not weaken his faith. It did not take the fight out of him. And I love looking around at church and seeing a George and saying, that's him. Age has not won. Faith wins. Faith wins every time. And if you want to meet the challenges ahead, my friend, hold on to your faith. I want you to read about what happened when the spies came back and see with me what occurred after that. So if you've got your Bible open to Numbers chapter 13, find verse 26. That's where we're going to begin our reading together. If you've got your Bible open there, if you can, Will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of our Heavenly Father and His Holy Word as we read together this morning. The 12 had gone out. They had been 40 days exploring the land. And we're told in the record here, beginning at verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. But then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Now, let me ask you if you would go back to verse 30. If you've got your Bible there in hand, just look at what Caleb said. We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that this morning as we spend these moments together, you would teach us your truth. Help us us to hold on in faith to where you are leading us and what you've called us to do. Father, challenge us, convict us, change us, make us what you want us to be, that our lives might become lives of service that bring glory and honor to you. But we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Joshua and Caleb brought back a different report than the other ten. Their faith in the power of God, their faith in His ability to help people should be an inspiration to every Christian person everywhere to dedicate ourselves completely to the Lord and trust Him for whatever the results need to be. I kept looking at this passage, and I'm just going to be honest. When I started writing this message several weeks ago, I was thinking, man, it's Father's Day, i got to preach to the dads. And then the more I looked at this passage, the more I found myself realizing, okay, I'm preaching to dads. I'm preaching to moms. I'm preaching to the leadership of the church. Because here is the reality. When I began to look at the words of Caleb, I found myself bogged down with this truth. There are three marvelous challenges For everyone who is going to lead, whether they are leading in their home and in their family, whether they are leading in their workplace or their classroom, or whether they are leading inside the church house and the body of God's people. There are three amazing challenges, and I want to show them to you. If you've got your Bible open, I just want you to keep it open right there in Numbers chapter 13. Find verse 30, lock in on verse 30, because you're going to see with me the three challenges that are put forth by Caleb. Challenge number one is the challenge of cooperative action. Caleb begins by saying, we should. He, he didn't say, I will, or I'm going to. He, he didn't come out and say, look, you know, maybe, maybe me and Joshua need to go. No. He said, we should. This is the all-inclusive we. Can I tell you something? It's hard to get everybody on the same page working together. I don't care if it's in your household. I don't care if it's in your workplace. I don't care if it's in a classroom. I don't care if it's in the church. It's hard to get everyone working together. But working together in cooperation is a key to success. Most worthwhile efforts are too great for one or two people to pull it off. So the we should mentality, the idea of let's do it together concept, that becomes necessary. I was thinking about that as I was listening to a, a preacher at the Southern Baptist Convention this last week. He was preaching on Pentecost. And I thought, man, what better example of cooperation, of working together? You look in, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 and it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. All together in one place. They were united. They were cooperating. I, I sat I'm sure that y'all do this. Don't, don't shake your heads yes. But as I was sitting there listening to him preach, my mind wandered. I know that that doesn't happen to you when I'm up here. All right? But, but as he was preaching, I found myself thinking, as he was talking about, they were all together in one place, and I thought, what would have happened if the day of Pentecost was supposed to happen in 2016? The meeting was announced. The 120 were invited. It was called for the first day of the week, but there were so many other things going on that interfered that only four showed up. And the discussion before the meeting began probably would have been something like this, that Peter and his wife had bought a cottage on Lake Galilee and the the heat was so intense in the city they decided to go away for the weekend. Bartholomew's family had come in from out of town, so he decided to stay home with them. Philip. Philip and his family had stayed up late the night before and they just overslept and missed, missed the meeting. Andrew had to meet a man about buying a new boat and James had to stay home and cut the grass. I mean, that's sometimes that's what it sounds like when we come together at the church. Because we have a hard time finding that cooperative sense. What would have happened? Am I going to say Pentecost wouldn't have happened? Absolutely not. God is God. But I'm telling you that the way it's recorded would definitely be different. It wouldn't look the same when we open the Word of God and read about Pentecost. Action in unison, cooperation. Man, that's a challenge. Cooperating together says, let's go. There's something to be done and we can get this done if we do it together. It's true in any setting. As parents in our homes, if we're dedicated to the body of Christ, if we are dedicated to teaching and training and and living together in service to the Lord, then we have every right to expect, even to require and demand that our children follow in that course. It's true in so many homes. Mom and dad fail to lead. Everything else becomes a priority. And then years later, the question that's asked is, where did we go wrong? I've had adults come to me and say, well, we're here because our children ask, can we go to Sunday school? <laughs> Praise God for children. But they shouldn't be asking the parents, can we go to Sunday school? The parents ought to be telling them, get up, it's time to go. I've had parents come to me through the years and, and say, should we make our kids go to Sunday school in church? We, we don't want them to grow up and, and resent the church. I always hesitate not. And then I say, yes. Make them go. Well, we don't want them to resent. Listen, what if your child said, I don't want to take a bath, and they're filthy? Are you going to say, Okay, I don't want you to resent the bathtub? Are you going to make them get in there? I know what my mama did. She had a yardstick, I went to the bathtub. It's Monday morning in the fall. Your child's been out of school all summer. They've enjoyed their break. And they say, I I, I don't want to go to school. You say, okay, stay home. It's okay. We can do this every day until they drag me into court. No. Get ready and go to school. They're sitting there coughing and hacking. And there's a pile of tissue where they've been blowing their snotty noses. And they say, I'm not going to take my medicine. Oh, yes, you are. You're going to take it and you're going to like it. We insist in all of these things, and yet we are timid and weak when it comes to developing the spiritual lives and spiritual character of our children. We should be just as... No, we shouldn't be just as strong. We ought to be stronger and more committed and more concerned to teaching them God's ways and making sure that they learn God's ways than we are about all the other stuff in the world. One day they're going to be making their own decisions. And there are folks in this room who can testify with me. You're not always going to like the decisions that your adult kids are going to make. Now is the time to invest. Now is the time to shape. Now is the time to mold who they are becoming and who they will be. Because in the days and years that lie ahead, you're going to have to watch and see the outcome. So here's my message and my challenge. Cooperative action. Mom, dad, work together. If you're a single parent, hook up to the church. Find all the help that you can. Mom and dad doing it together. Hook up to the church. Listen, we're in this together. We're going to come alongside parents and help them. We're going to teach them. We're going to help every way we possibly can. But we've got to do it cooperatively. It works that way. We should that's the first challenge, cooperative action. The second challenge I see still there in verse 30 is the challenge of urgently moving ahead. We've got to have a sense of urgency about what we're doing. Look again at verse 30. Look at what Caleb said. We should go up and take. We're going to do this. We're not going to wait for them to offer. We're not going to wait for them to die off. We're not going to wait for them to vacate the area and move out and say, well, if you'd like to have our homes, you can have. No, we're going to go up and take. I heard a lot of reports this week in St. Louis about the Great Commission. Everyone talks about the Great Commission. Everyone talks about the challenge that stands before the 21st century church. But can I tell you something? It's the same challenge that's been before every generation in every era of the church—we have been commissioned with one task: to make disciples. To engage in the process of sharing our faith in Jesus Christ so that others can know Him and that they too can become followers of His teaching and of His way. Only God knows what the final outcome is going to look like. He's the only one who knows the tally of those who will accept and believe and those who will reject and find condemnation. But the church has grown weary. And I understand sometimes we look and it seems statistically overwhelming. The world population is exploding. Other world religions are rising and seeming to gain ground all the time while we keep hearing and reading that Christianity is on the decline. As the world becomes more and more pagan every day, the challenge to total commitment is what we have to hear. We are called to follow Him. We are called to serve Him. We are called to be His hands and His feet and His mouth and His voice in this world. We are called to be Jesus. To go up and take requires a lot of effort. It requires a lot of work. I'm going to pick on him just because he's sitting there looking at me. Matthew, you got any idea how many miles you walked last week during crossover? We could count the 35 miles. We could count the 35 miles. Door to door to door. Neighborhood by neighborhood in the city of St. Louis. Going to share Jesus. Folks, listen, it's not the number of miles. It's the number of conversations. It's the number of shares. All of us ought to be able to say, I gave up. I quit counting. I'm just going to keep doing it because it's what we're called to do. We need to understand we must move ahead with a sense of urgency. The days are growing short. People are dying and going to hell every day around us. And we've got to accept the challenge. And Let me back up the truck again. It starts in our own household. It starts in our own homes. We need to understand the importance of those in our family circle knowing Christ and our responsibility to share Christ, to live Christ, to be Christ before them. The church has grown apathetic, complacent. Well, we found it. They will too. No. No. Well, we figured it out. Maybe they will. No. We pray. We share. We go. We give. We do whatever it takes. I was reading an article in one of the little handouts at the convention. A very pointed statement. About years ago, I'm talking some 40 years ago, an American pastor found his way into mainland China. He was visiting with some of the pastors there. And we know today that the house church movement in China is growing by leaps and bounds. God is moving in a mighty way in that country that says they are suppressing Christianity. But back in that day, whenever the house church movement was just beginning to gain some momentum, the pastor asked, why has Christianity lost its foothold and been overtaken by communism in your country. And here's what the Chinese pastor said. Because the communists have a philosophy, a program, and a passion. They believe in something, they plan how to appeal to others, and then they work with a passion even to the point of giving their lives. And he looked at the American pastor and he said, Christianity has the first two, a philosophy and a program. But tragically, we've lost our sense of passion. Listen to me. The early church had passion. The early apostles, they had passion. In Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 42, we read, they called the apostles in and had them flogged, and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Their passion was such that they didn't care who told them stop. They would rather die than forsake their Lord. Our philosophy is truth. Our program is divine. Our passion calls us constantly to plead to the lost and to plead for our own members to become involved, to get engaged. Listen, the great tragedy today is that the great majority of the work of the church is done by an overwhelming or underwhelming minority of God's people. We all need to find our place of service. We need to hook ourselves up to it and we need to get involved When our passion goes, we stop living out the words of Jesus. Whoever finds his life will lose it. and Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That disappears. Let me ask you a simple question. Within your list of family members, is there someone who doesn't know Christ. I'm giving you a minute. It shouldn't take you long. Is there someone in your family circle, in your home or even outside your home, your extended family, is there someone who doesn't know Christ? What have you done about it? In your list of acquaintances, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, is there someone you know who doesn't know Christ? What have you done about it? Have you shared Christ? Have you even extended an invitation and invited them to come to church where someone else can talk to them about Christ? see, one day it's going to be too late. Either we're going to be gone or they're going to be gone. But one day it will be late. That opportunity will be lost. And eternity is looming in the future. You want to face the challenge ahead, you need to understand we've got to move ahead urgently. Time is of the essence. In fact, I know some of you have already looked at your watches and you're saying, yeah, it is, preacher. Time is of the essence. So let me share with you quickly the third challenge, and I'll be done. It's the challenge of conquest with confidence. I want you to go back to verse 30, and I want you to look at Caleb's statement. We should go up and take possession of the land. Get this. For we can certainly do it. Man, it is an awesome thing to have a goal in front of you and accomplish it. As parents, as moms and dads, man, there's nothing more exciting than whenever you come to the realization that your children have come to Christ. When you realize your family circle is complete. When you understand as they grow and become adults and you see them, they're making some good choices and they're, they're going in a right direction and they're doing things the way you would have told them to. It takes a while to get there, but it works. Moving toward a future with confidence. Listen, life is hard. Sometimes we just want to quit. Ministry's hard. Sometimes I want to quit. Your jobs are hard. Sometimes you just want to turn the lock and turn out the lights and tell everybody to go away. I get it. Being a dad is hard. Being a mom is hard. Sometimes we just want to quit. Sometimes we find ourselves on our knees saying, God, I know you gave these children to me. I know you think I'm up to the task, but God, I have one question. What were you thinking? But he's right. The ten told the people of Israel, you're crazy we're going to get killed if we do this. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're badder. Joshua and Caleb says, let's go up and take possession of the land. For we can certainly do it. Do you know why Caleb said that? Because he understood God is with us. And if God is with us, we are never alone. If God is for us, who can stand against us? If God is for us, whom shall we fear? If God is on our side, why should we ever even hesitate? If God is for us, we should go up and take possession of the land. For we can certainly do it. We can do it in our homes We can do it in this city. We can do it in this church. We can move forward with a sense of urgency and with confidence knowing that God is with us. What are we doing? Are we engaged in sharing the name of Christ and reaching around the world? Are we willing to just go across the street or around the block and share Christ there? It's so easy to pitch some money in a plate and say, There, I sent a missionary are you ready to be a missionary? Will we engage those in our homes, in our lives, in our schools, in our homes, in our workplaces? Listen, we don't need to be good at making excuses. We need to be good at making good on the calling that God has given us. Joshua and Caleb said, we are able for we have God on our side. I want to ask you this morning, what do you say? What do you say? The experience of Joshua and Caleb and all that came along with them into the promised land ought to be an inspiration to us to trust the Lord. He will do what he has promised he will do. Listen, if you are walking with him, if you belong to him, I want you to know something this morning. Even though you may feel like the world is stacked against you, that everything is caving in, that it is dark, that the world is tough, I want you to understand something. Victory is yours. mine if you're sitting there listening to me and you're saying it's not mine I don't know where you're getting this from preacher I'm going to tell you where I'm getting it from I'm getting it from my best friend his name is Jesus he died on a cross but he's alive he was buried inside of the earth but he's out of the grave He walked on this earth, but today he is in heaven. He became a man just like me, but now he is seated at the right hand of majesty and he is interceding on my behalf. I can beat anything. Do you know why? Because he told me. He told me so. He said, well, how how did he do that? Easy. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. My friend, if you belong to Jesus Christ and if he dwells within you, you are victorious. You just may not be smart enough to have figured it out yet. Keep hooked up. He'll show you in his word. But if you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't have that kind of a relationship with the Lord. You can't have. I want you to know something this morning. I am no better than anybody else. I'm no different than anybody else in this sense. I'm a sinner. Everyone in this room is a sinner. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But you know what? God revealed His love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, listen, He offers to us a gift a gift of eternal life, a gift of forgiveness, a gift of grace because we can't earn it or deserve it. It's all from him. He calls us to himself. There will be those who will reject him. Tragically so, but truthfully so. There will be those who will receive what he offers. Praise God. This morning, you may be sitting here and he may be calling you. I want you to know something. You've got a choice to make. You see, in just a moment, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing a song of commitment. It won't be long. But I want to give you the opportunity to respond to whatever God is saying in your heart, in your mind, in your life today. You may say, well, I'm not ready to make a decision. Cool, you've made a decision. Because, see, you either decide for him or you decide against him. Every one of us does every moment. Either you will decide to accept what He offers and allow Him to become Lord, Savior, Master of your life, or you will reject it. Every one of us makes that choice. And maybe today is your day of decision. If it is, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. When we sing, if you need that relationship, if you want to give Christ control of your heart, I want to invite you to come and take me by the hand. Just tell me I need that relationship. I will not embarrass you. I will not put you on the spot. But we want to share with you from the Word of God how you can be born again today and become a new creation in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I did that. But you know what? I've I've gotten off track and I've let my life go sideways. Everything's gotten out of control. Everything is askew. Did you know that he stands on the porch waiting for his prodigal kids to come home? And he welcomes them. Today, maybe he's waiting for you. What do you need to do? My friend, I don't want to water this down. I'm going to stop right there. There may be something else that God is dealing with you about in your heart. If that's true, we'll be happy to help you, assist you any way we can. But I want to tell you right now, if you need a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you need to restore and renew that relationship, this is your opportunity. This is his invitation. Are you ready to meet the challenges ahead? Not if you're trying to do it on your own, you're not. But with him, with him, you can be ready. Let's bow our heads together. Father, this morning, I thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I thank you for the record of men like Joshua and Caleb. Men who were willing to follow you against odds. Men who were willing to let you have control of their lives, not knowing what the outcome would be or what the cost might be. Father, it's not just them. There have been men and women in every generation who had that type of faith in you. I pray that you would raise up another generation like that. I pray that you'd begin in this place among us to find hearts that are ready. Individuals who are willing to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. Father, there may be someone in this place this morning who doesn't know you. And maybe they came into this place just just coming to just coming to be with dad, just coming to church because somebody told them they needed to or maybe they came out of curiosity. But Father, I hope that you will allow your Holy Spirit now to impress them with this simple truth that there is nothing they need in this world more than you. Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. You look into our hearts and you, you see our sin. You see our flaws but you also know what you created each one of us to be. And I pray that this morning as we spend these next few moments together that you would reveal that truth to each one of us. Help us to understand not just what we are, but who we are to be in Christ what you created us for. Father, call us to surrender to that purpose pray Father that you would have your way in each life Lord in these moments be glorified in the lives of your children in this place call to yourself those you desire today and give them ears to hear and hearts that are ready to respond for I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ Amen